the title on this lesson today is Don't Let the Fight Get Knocked Out of You. And uh, first of all, I want you to know that I wrote the first notes on this and did the first study on this lesson before uh, we got all these, or well, I say all of them, before we got the three COVID um, returns that were positive. And uh, I just felt I read over my notes again, and I felt like it was the very message that we should hear and share today with one another. That this is the message for our body. I was moved last Sunday uh, with what I heard from the fellowship at Southgate. Um, different ones shared. As I, I said before, I've learned through the years that knowing what God is doing can usually be perceived by what is happening in the body of Christ. And the reason is because the Spirit of the Lord is in each person in the church family. And so usually you can catch the drift of the Holy Spirit when people in the church begin to share. Now, I realize that's not a, a one-size-fits-all kind of precept. But I think it's, um, I think it's pretty true. I think pretty often you can tell what God's doing by listening to the people in the church. And what I heard last Sunday was, in the pressure of the hour, don't give up the fight. Those of you who were there, is that what you heard too? Don't give up the fight. I'm, um, I'm seeing today what I've heard uh, some call COVID fatigue. I think many are very, very weary in the battle. But Galatians 6 and verse 9 says, Be not weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. If we don't give up, if we don't stop fighting. The part that is, I think, most challenging about that verse is these words, in due season, in due season, because we don't know when due season is. Due season is something of God's intention, and that's where our heart is tested. Our heart is tested when we do the right thing but we haven't seen the result come to pass yet. It's when we pray the prayer, but we haven't yet seen the result. It's when we believe for something, but we're still barren. It's when we planted seed, but we haven't seen the crop grow yet. He says in due season, you'll reap if you faint not. It's that proviso, if you faint not, that's challenging to our hearts. That's the hard part. But his point there is, don't be weary doing the right thing. Don't stop doing the right thing. Don't stop standing in the right place. And I've said so often to us as a body, since this whole epidemic started, where in the Bible does it say that God heals everything except COVID-19? It's not there. 
In fact, many times in Jesus' ministry, it says he healed all their diseases, all their infirmities. Paul said in 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Lay hold means seize it. Get hold of it. Get hold of your eternal life. Get a grip on that to which you are called that is in you. His spirit is in you. Get a grip on those eternal life aspects of your spirit that hold to the Lord. It seems to me that the church in many ways is losing her grip on basic precepts of kingdom living. And, and this has been happening for years. This has been happening for a number of years. We can see it in many ways. And, and really, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I am not sure where we're going to, to be when we come out on the other side of this epidemic. I, I, I don't know where the church will be. What I know is that this is part of God's pruning process. It is part of God's process of separation. It is what he does in bringing about um, dividing the sheep from the goats, wheat from the chaff. And I believe that is very much a part of what God is doing today. And he's saying, get a grip on eternal life, on those things that are eternal life values within you. At the end of Paul's life, he said, I fought a good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Fought a good fight. You know, I'm hearing today from men and women of faith who are being empowered, who are standing strong in this present time. I think the army of God is beginning to rise up. It may be like a Gideon army. It may be a, an army that, where that there's been division, and some have gone home. Some have gone back. Some didn't want to stay in the fight. But I think it may be a Gideon army that does not quit in the battle. You remember that verse in Judges that says they came to the river exhausted, but they still continued? That's what I'm talking about. You know, family, did, did we think that God was calling us to a risk-free walk of faith? Did we really think that? Did we, did we think that, that we would never have to walk on the water? Did we realize that there are times when we're going to have to take firm steps into the darkness? Yeah. And with those thoughts in mind, um, my attention was drawn to Jacob, because I've always found Jacob to be an interesting personality. It, really, I find Jacob to be an enigma. Um, is he, is he a good guy that struggles, or is he a not-so-good guy that God uses anyway, you know? And 
I think I've got some insight from the book of Hosea, which also talks about Jacob. And I'm going to be looking with you quite a lot this morning at Hosea chapter 12. So you might want to go ahead and turn your Bible there. I know that some of you have the notes that you got online as well, the overview notes of this, of this lesson. In Hosea chapter 12 and verse 2, um, God says that he has a legal judgment against the house of Israel. Uh, let me read that to you. He says, the Lord brings a charge against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. According to his deeds, he will recompense him. Now, in this verse, let, let me make it clear. God uses Jacob and Judah as names interchangeable with the nation of Israel. He's not talking about the person of Judah or the person of Jacob. But then he pivots and he talks about the person of Jacob. He says, I've got a charge against Israel. I've, I'm going to press charges against the nation of Israel. But then what he does in the next verse is he reminds Israel of their identity in Jacob himself, in Jacob as a person. And that's in verses 3 and beginning of verse 4. He says, he took his brother by the heel in the womb, and in his strength he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. So this is speaking actually of Jacob's birth. You remember his birth? with Esau, his brother. Esau was coming out ahead of his brother. And then we can see this tiny hand coming out of the womb and holding on to Esau's foot as if he's saying, wait a minute, partner. I, you're not going to leave me behind. I'm contending for this blessing, this family blessing also. He was a fighter. Jacob was a fighter from the start. And God is actually using here Jacob's fighting spirit to prod his people Israel, the nation of Israel, to, to man up, we would say, to stand up, to stand up to the fight, take a stand. Jacob grabbed his brother's foot. He, he, he struggled with God, and it says he prevailed. He prevailed. Now, that's exactly what happened when Jacob struggled with God in Genesis 32, and it even says that in that place. Let me turn to that real quick. Genesis 32, and the angel of the Lord said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. So he struggled with men, and he struggled with God both. You know, sometimes when you have that in your heart, you're going to have struggles with people around you as well. When someone is, is, is drifting from where you think they should be, you're, you're, going to, you're going to tend to enter into that. You know, do you ever have the feeling sometimes that you can't stay out of the battle? I've had that feeling many times. Many times. Um, I've actually been accused of moving into battles when I could stay free and wouldn't have to. And I, it's, it's been a tough place for me to, to walk in, in life. It really has. I can't seem to stand to watch people be bullied, for example. That's, that's part of what drives me out to the sidewalk in front of Planned Parenthood is the, the sheer bullying 
of an adult person doing what they want to, even taking the life of a little baby that can't even cry out for himself. I don't know. There's just something about that that seems like a big old bully that just wants to push a little guy around. And so I get on the sidewalk with my sign and I stand out there. Others stand out more than I do, but I'm, I get out there with him. I try to get out there with him every week. And, and Jacob was like that. And God actually saw that fighting spirit as something he wanted to show Israel. He said, look at Jacob. He grabbed his brother's heel and he wrestled with God and he prevailed. And the angel of the Lord, it says right there in Genesis 32 that I just read. The angel said, you have prevailed. You have prevailed. You've, you've struggled with God and you've struggled with, with men and you've prevailed, and your name, your nature has changed to Israel. Israel, Israel is a name that's hard for us to, to uh, figure out the definition to, but it probably means prince with God. That's, that's what most commentators think. So boy, what a change from Jacob the heel grabber, Jacob the, the person that was going to take advantage of people, to prince with God. Now, Esau, on the other hand, was a different character entirely. Um, Esau did not see God's blessing as something to fight for. And um, Hebrews really warns us seriously about the nature of Esau. Let me get that real quick here. Um, hmm. Here we go. Uh, it says, watch carefully. This is in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Watch carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane or godless person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Wow, what a commentary on a man. What a sad commentary of his life that he wouldn't even fight for his birthright, his birthright blessing. He would exchange, as it says here, one morsel of food for his birthright because he was hungry. He didn't fight for what was really important. Listen to this. He settled for what was convenient. He settled for life his way instead of God's way. You know, I, I, uh, I've heard the story before about the young preacher who was always um, misinterpreting scripture. And, um, Finally, an older minister took him aside, and he said, I don't think that's really what it means. And this young minister said, yeah, but that's the way I like it. <laughs> yeah, and we all wanted to do that with Scripture before. Yeah, that's the way I like it. That's, uh, that's like the old saying, I believe the full gospel, all five verses of it. I heard Bob Mumford say we ought to do a study of all the verses we don't have underlined in our Bible. That's sure true. Esau liked life the way he liked it. He wanted it the way he wanted it. 
Convenience was the important thing to Esau. Now, here's another example of Esau's nature. God was clear with his people about not intermarrying with uh, the heathen, with the Canaanites, who were idol worshipers. But in Genesis 26 and verse 2, it says, Esau took wives from the daughters of Canaan. And then it goes on right there in verse 2 to actually name those wives. And did you know those, um, those children of those Canaanite wives became the enemies of God and his people and still are today? Esau did not have a long-range view of life. He had a short-range view. Well, I like these Canaanite women. Besides that, you know, if God really wanted me to have an Israelite, well, he'd bring some Israelite women to me. You know, sometimes we have to go for what God has for us and not just take what's around us. Jacob had setbacks, but he kept fighting back. Jacob was a fighter. Despite the nature of sin within him that he clearly saw, he kept coming back to God. Remember that night when he, when he wrestled with the angel? That was the day when he feared Esau was coming after him to, to get payback on a bad debt. He thought, Esau's coming with me. And he has all these warriors with him, and he's going to destroy me and my people. And it says that night he was left alone on the rocky banks of a little stream called Jabbok. And that night is where Jacob learned that his wrestling, his fight, was not with Esau. It was not with his brother. It was with the Lord. It was with the Lord. And you know something, family, when we fight with the Lord, we need to pray to lose. We need to pray to lose. Because if we win, we lose everything, Jesus said. I find in most cases that in our early years of walking with the Lord, we wrestle with the devil a lot. We wrestle with demons a lot, but we get old, and the devil, I guess he gets old with us, and he gives up on trying to lure us into overt sin. You know, someone my age, it's useless for Satan to try to lure me into a nightclub. I can't think of anything more uncomfortable in my life than being in a nightclub or to lure me into an adulterous affair. It's just not going to succeed. But as we get older, we wrestle with God because he tests our hearts. He tests our hearts. He becomes our sparring partner. He's preparing us for battle so we don't get lazy. Because as we, old, we get older, we tend to get lazy. We tend to just say, man, let others do the fighting. Let others into the battle, enter, enter into the battle. 
not me, Lord. I've paid my dues. I've already done it. And you know what? God needs every person on the prayer line today. And I would say, especially those who are experienced in the things of God, who have walked with the Lord, there is nothing more powerful than you than in your prayer room when you are interceding. God's calling everyone today to a place of ministry, to a prayer room, to doing what you can do. Jacob knew that it was God's intention to give him the inheritance. Even though he sees that he has missed God in places in his life. So, while Esau, while Esau is out marrying Canaanite women, saying, well, if God wanted me to marry Israelite women, he'd, he'd bring some Israelite women to me, I guess. Guess he'd just bring a bunch of Israelite women over here. See, that's the entrapment. That's the entrapment of an Esau spirit. It settles for it is what it is. It is what it is. It doesn't fight for God's will in a dry season. The Esau spirit reads Matthew eleven twelve, which says, The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. The Esau spirit reads passages like that, and it yawns and says, But I'm too tired, but I just can't do that. Let somebody else do it. Let the younger ones do it. Somebody else can do that. But listen, family, God's kingdom makes penetration into darkness by a kind of violence which opposes the status quo, which does not accept it is what it is. It's not content with that. In some ways, we could say it's a spirit of discontentment. It'll reach out of the womb and grab hold of somebody's heel and say, I want that too. So what was God's charge against Israel? What was God's charge against his people in that day? You know, I began to think about that. What was God's charge in this prophecy? And you can read the whole book of Hosea, and you can, you can find out what it was. But what I did was I actually turned to the information at the beginning of the book of Hosea in my Spirit-Filled Life Bible. And listen to this. This is what it says. See if anything in this reminds you of America today. This is the description, the background of the nation that God is talking about when he says you need to be more like Jacob. It says, though all the gauges of outward success seemed positive for Israel, underneath disaster was lurking. The people of this period enjoyed peace, plenty, and prosperity. But anarchy was brewing, and it would bring the political collapse of the nation in a few short years. Hosea describes the characteristic social conditions of his day, corrupt leaders, unstable family life, widespread immorality, and class hatred. Did you hear that checklist? Does that sound like America? Though people continued a form of worship, idolatry was more and more accepted. 
and the priests were failing to guide the people into ways of righteousness. The leaders that should have been spiritual leaders were not guiding the people in the ways of righteousness. But it says, in spite of the darkness of these days, Hosea holds out hope to inspire his people to turn back to God. You see, family, when there's, um, when there's a remnant, there's always hope. Let me, let me read to you in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 9. It says, unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have been like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah were the seed of sin that he's referring to there. The worst kinds of sin. He said if there hadn't been a remnant that God could count on, that's what we've got to be. We've got to be that remnant in the day of Hosea when all those other things are taking place. We've got to stand in the battle, not give up in this 15th round, in the 16th round. You know, I've said before, it takes a lot of courage to give people a message that they don't want to hear. And that was Hosea's assignment, to bring a message that the people did not want to hear. God said to Israel, I've got a charge against you. I'm taking you to court. It's payday because of your ways because of your deeds. But God said, I want you to remember, I want you to remember Jacob. You came from Jacob and Jacob would not let go of his brother's heel. In his strength, he struggled with men and he struggled with God. Jacob was a fighter. The charge was that they were living in the moment. They were just living for that moment right then. They were living for what they could get. They didn't have a long-range vision. In a word, they were spiritually lazy, and God was just calling them out. You know, um, I don't know. I, I, I think I sometimes have my best thoughts when I'm outside working. I've said that to you before. Um, this message has been on my heart this week as I was, as I was studying it and thinking about Jacob and Esau. And I was outside working one day and I was, it was one of those really hot days. Of course, all those up this past week, I think has been, every day has been hot like that, but I was just pouring sweat and I was working outside. And I remembered a song that I I wasn't around when it was sung, actually, or at least not to any great extent. But it was, it was some, some men called the Mills Brothers that sang a song. I think, I think maybe this goes all the way back to World War II or something. Remember the song Up a Lazy River? And so I'm working around outside, and I'm kind of humming Up a Lazy River. And I actually remembered all the words to the song, which was kind of unusual for me. I remember the words to the song, and I was kind of humming it to myself. And the thought occurred to me. I don't even know why that song came to mind, but it occurred to me as I was humming it, that's an Esau song. That song should have been Esau's theme of his life. Up the lazy river, 
Robin, it's all, it's all real surreal. It's all very wonderful. It's all very good for me. And I'm just floating along and I've got no responsibility. I've got no assignment. I think that's the Esau church. Are we going to be an Esau church? Are we going to maintain the fight and not be weary, not give up in well-doing? Listen, family, here's the bottom line. God is not calling us to do easy things. He's calling us to do right things. Esau always wanted an easy way. Jacob was a fighter. And God said, don't forget the heel grabber. He fought with men and he fought with God. And he prevailed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, I pray for the church today. In Jesus' name. I pray for the church today. Not just Southgate, but I pray for the church, Lord, that there would be a strong remnant of people who walk this epidemic out in faith and who walk out this unbelieving generation in faith, this generation when Sin is displayed and seems to scream out louder than the message of Jesus. I pray in the name of the Lord that your church would stand like a big boulder in the middle of a stream, that we would just stand there in Jesus' name and do the right thing and say the right thing and pray for the sick and be a people of faith and be a people of strength and stand like men in a time when so many in the church are giving up in the battle. I ask, Lord, that we would not let the fight be knocked out of us, but that we would be like Jacob reaching out of the womb and grabbing the heel of Esau and saying, I'm not going to be left out of the blessing. And he eventually had the entire blessing because of Esau's complacency and his laziness. Lord, let us not get entrapped in the entrapment of an Esau nature. Keep us, Lord. Keep us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Keep us in a place of strength. Keep us in a place of solid prayer life. Keep us in a place, Lord, where we're interceding constantly I pray, Father, that the church would be a people of Goshen that remain under the blood covenant, Lord. Oh, God, I pray we would stay under that blood covenant and stay connected to the blessing, as my friend says. Under the covenant and connected to the blessing. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Stay with the fight, family. Don't stop. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing.